you're not familiar with what we're doing, uh, I'm about to share something real powerful and harsh and strong, and if you don't agree with it and you decide you want to challenge me, I got these, they got my back. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We, um, for those of you who have been here, we've been sharing a series for the last uh, several weeks um, on the gospel, the simple gospel, and uh, you've heard different perspectives and different emphasis that, that Holy Spirit has brought out through the three of us. But it seems like as we were talking, the three of us, uh, Cornell and Greg and I have been talking, we noticed, and you might have noticed too, that the, it seems like the Holy Spirit has emphasized and landed on one particular area of the gospel, and that's the grace of God. Because the grace of God is the power of God. That is the power. That's what enables us to do the very thing that he's called us to do. And there's, there's a lot of you know, the grace message is not new. It's not, I mean, it's in the Bible, so it's, but it, it can be a message that can be very distorted or, or abused and, and that kind of thing. But to me, it's become one of my favorite things. And of course, you hear me say that a lot, one of my favorites, because I'm recognized that it is his grace that enables me to love. It is his grace that enables me to do the impossible. And it's his grace that enables me to walk in freedom. When I was in bondage, and I struggled and tried to get free from pornography or whatever, anger or whatever. And I tried, and I tried. I'm going to do better this time. God, I'm going to do because I love him. I'm going to do better this time. And it didn't work. But learning how to allow his grace to work in me is when you realize the victory and the freedom. And so tonight, we're, or tonight, <laughs> today we are going to, um, we're going to continue our conversation and, and um, and we're going to emphasize this grace part, um, or however the Lord leads the different brothers to share. But I invited them to come and, and we do our little, what do we call this, our panel, our panel discussion. And so we're just going to kind of have like a discussion and, and just, just share our hearts and things. And however the Lord wants to, to lead these brothers is uh, fine with me. So Father, we just thank you for your presence. And we thank you for what you're doing in our lives and we're so excited, and we celebrate you. We celebrate your kingdom. And Lord, we're so excited and, and appreciate the fact that you don't just tolerate us, but you celebrate us. <clears throat> and your love for us just moves us and motivates us and, and convicts us, and it, it makes us want to run towards you. And so we're, we thank you for that, Father. We're so grateful. We bless you. And we just ask you to have your way and just to speak and teach and minister through your people today and to your people. We all want to learn more of you and draw closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Walking out the gospel, the grace of the gospel. What does grace look like in your life on a practical level? And that's what we want to talk about, practical level. We understand a lot of the, the theory and the, and the teaching and everything, but what does this look like in my daily life? That's what we want to because that's where we're all at, right? Daily lives. So, either you guys want to start out with anything? Go ahead. No. All right. You know, uh, I felt led to share uh, a few weeks ago about grace being the underrated miracle. And, um, you know, so oftentimes we talk about uh, all the things that we wish 
to see uh, that we think will spark revival and so forth. And and I just really believe strongly, you know, that uh, probably the most powerful witness is the grace of God at work in the life of the believer. Um, you know, in John chapter 1, in, in many of you probably recall where it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And it said the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And on, on further down, it says, as it's clear that it's talking about Jesus, and it says, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You know? And, and think about that. You know, why would he say full of grace and truth? Well, here we are, separated from the Father. We are too weak in and of ourselves because we cannot fulfill the law and, 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 and save ourselves. We cannot be reconciled with God in our own strength. So we were weak in that regard. And yet here comes Christ Jesus full of grace. You know, uh, someone, one of you guys said it's the power of God. In that context, I look at grace as the strength of God. To come in in our weakened state to bring the strength of God to, say, to, to, to enable us to receive salvation. He did for us what we could not do. And so that's, and, and that message is not only relative for us receiving salvation. The same concept applies for us as we walk out our salvation uh, in the Lord. Just wanted to kind of preface everything with that before we go, is that um, grace doesn't mean we have license to do whatever we want to do without consequence and so forth and so on. But grace is the strength of God that is bestowed upon us to do that which he's called us to do. And I think it's, in, I think it's important for us to, uh, uh, to acknowledge that and, and to start off from that understanding. Um, you know, we've been kind of laying back again the foundation, and I have, to, I have to call it exactly what the Word of God calls it, and that is the reality is the concept of righteousness is not the meat of the Word. Don't anybody fall out of your chair now. Mm-hmm. You know what it is? It's the milk of the Word. Mm-hmm. Because it's the first, and what is milk? It's the first element that any mammalian species has to have in order to gain those next steps of maturity physically to be able to what? Handle stronger and stronger and stronger truths and, and food. Well, from a perspective of the spiritual, the stronger and stronger truth is eventually the meat, the potatoes, the bread, the vegetables, the kale of the Word of God. The kale. Oh, yeah, kale, brother. <laughs> You know, the super the superfoods that don't taste so great. Yeah. But yet medical science has absolutely established their effect on our body. We've too long have we stayed with a diet of milk. I'm not trying to come down on nobody here. I'm I'm, I'm preaching to myself, brothers. Am I not? I mean we're we're just preaching to ourselves here, so y'all are coming along for the ride. You know, and Paul talks about this, he, you know, to the Hebrews church, and we could turn over and look at, their, look at this concept. You know, what we wanted to do is snap back to the foundation of the reality of the power of the kingdom of God. Not necessarily that we would camp there, though. Right. 
Because we've got to get to the place that, just like Paul was encouraging the Hebrews church and kind of admonishing them, saying, brothers and sisters, you're at a place that you ought to be eating meat, but you're still drinking the milk. And what is it? The message of righteousness? The thing that the power of the grace of God does, accomplishes for us, and that is our right standing. The very foundation of our relationship with God is righteousness. And yet, how many of us struggle with that concept? I'm not condemning no one. Is, it, is anybody being, feeling condemned right now? Do not feel condemned. I, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking good words here. Because guess what? There's more beyond. And that's what we want to talk about. You know, we, we've talked about how we've laid out the foundation again of the power of God, of, of, of the gospel, the power of the gospel. And remember we talked about how you could insert that word power for when you see the word gospel, you know, it is the power of God and the salvation on every level, not just the spiritual, but the soulless realm and the physical realm. But the reality is, is that something about that power should transform and motivate our, our lives on a, on a moment-to-moment basis. In other words, it's not a one-time event. You know, we talked about fire insurance, you know, how some people are actually motivated into the kingdom to make a decision for the kingdom of God. And if I had everyone raise their hand, how many of y'all actually received the Lord genuinely from more a position of, of fear than you did from love? I think we'd probably have a pretty good chunk of hands would go up here. And I'm not discounting, the, I'm not discounting, you know, the, the, the fire and damnation, you know, sometimes you know, aspect of preaching. But let me tell you what, it's like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, there's a higher way. There is something that's more needful. And you know what it is? It's the love of God. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I got to tell you, all three of us, we, we were talking about this on Friday evening or Friday afternoon. And the reality is, it's the love of God that draws men and women to repentance. Amen. It's the goodness of God. Yes, we can talk about if you don't, here's the result or the consequence. But that is not the higher way. Because it does not convey the true nature of the Father. The true nature of the Father, as any father sitting in here today who would do for their own kids, what motivates you to do for your kids? Your love for them. How much more our Heavenly Father is that way? And so we want to change the perspective of this message to one of that motivation from the Father of his love for us. That is why we should serve him now after having received this, those of you all that have received it. And so I just want to just talk, kind of open it up with a a scripture. Then we talked about this. Pastor CJ brought this scripture out on Friday when we were talking. And it's over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I think it would be good if you wanted to turn there right quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 14. This is Paul talking to the Corinthian church. And I just love this scripture because I was asked a question. I understand the concepts of grace as it pertains to salvation and receiving my inheritance in the kingdom of God for eternity. I understand that. I get that. But what about the role and the part that we play? Folks, I hope no one here has thought that we are discounting that we have a role when we receive the grace of God. 
Mm-hmm. We do have a role. Not, not a single one of us have preached or taught anything counter to that. I hope no one has received it that way, but yet at the same time, I will remind you that Paul had this same conflict. When he taught the, the, the message of grace, everywhere he go, he went, what was it? The people that were wanting to stay to the law were always saying, well, you're saying that you're giving you a license to sin. The grace message gives you a license. Man, Paul had to deal with this all the time, everywhere he went. And so here's what I want to open it up with is this scripture, verse 14. Listen to what Paul says here. And he's talking about, and if you look at the context of this, he's talking about, you know, being, you know, the work of salvation in our lives, the work of this power in our lives and what it does to us, and then how it can move you to do the things that are your part post-grace, post-receiving grace, okay, for salvation. And so verse 14 says, for Christ's love compels us. That's what we were talking about, love over judgment. Remember? That's the perspective. It's love is always the highest perspective. Christ's love compels us. And if you look at that word compel, then I'm going to shut up. But if you look at that word compel, In the original language, that word actually means constrain. And in fact, you can actually go even more deeply and clearly and use the word oppress. Now, when you use the word oppress, a negative image comes to your mind, does it not? But that word oppress can be a good thing too because really what it means is to be pressed or pressured from from a, a force. Something is pressing upon you. And what do you do when you press on a grape or a, an orange? You juice it, don't, don't you? You squeeze the inner content of, of the goodness and nutrients of what's there, potentially. You make that available. Guess what Christ's love does? You see how important it is to get that perspective? The brothers and I, we were talking about this thing. We've got, what is the motivation for our lives when we receive the grace of God? And it doesn't stop. The grace Mm -hmm. of God does not stop. But when we receive that motivation, or when we receive that love, that manifest presence of his power, what do we do with it after salvation? Well, what we do with it is we, we allow that love to compel or to literally press the inward power that's made avail- to, to be made available at any time in our lives. To compel us, to uh, literally oppress our lives, constrain it, run it through something that pressures its formation. How many of y'all have ever messed with Play-Doh before and you pushed it through with those little dyes? Mm-hmm. You know, that little plunger and you push it down and it puts out a star or it puts out a hot dog or whatever, you know? <laughs> You're constraining something that is amorphous. It has no shape. There's really nothing that you can discern except a lump. But you're constraining it to to output a desired uh, shape or form. That's what Christ's love does in this grace concept. It constrains us. It compels us. Okay. And so then I want to end with this. And he died, verse 15, for us all so that why? So that those who live would no longer live for themselves, but for the one capital O who died for them and was raised. Amen. And I just dropped the mic right there. Amen. Right? 
Because mm-hmm. that's, what, that's what it comes down to right there. Mm-hmm. Brothers and sisters, what does Christ's grace do? What does the power of grace do in our lives? Yes, we have a role to play. But that role is a product of the oppression of the love of God in us. Mm-hmm. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, what? I, I remember when I was 16 years old and I went to a youth retreat. And we had fun. We had a great time, actually, with the youth group I was going to. And I remember at one point the youth pastor was preaching, and then he said something, something to the effect of, you know, if you were to go home on your way to your room or whatever, you were to get hit by a truck or you were to die, how many of you would go to hell? And it's like, whoa, you know, and, and so he, you know, he said, if you don't want to go to hell, you know, something to this effect, raise your hand, repeat the prayer. And so I had my hand way up there. I prayed, <laughs> I don't want to go to hell. And, um, and after that prayer, I felt good. You know, I was like, hey, I'm good with God. It's all good. And that, that lasted a couple of weeks, maybe a month. And then I went right back to the way I was living my life before that. And then fast forwarding to uh, when I came here to Oklahoma State, and I was, uh, uh, a friend invited me to church, went to church uh, at Bennett Chapel. And the pastor was talking to me, and he, and he said, are you ready to give your life to Jesus? 100%. And he didn't even talk about hell. And not that hell's not a reality. Hell is a reality that none of us want to experience, right? And, but um, leading up to that, I was, you know, battling fear and all this kind of stuff. And when he asked me, are you ready to give your life to Jesus? I didn't recognize him at the time, but I recognize now the Holy Spirit inside of me said he's the one. In other words, the troubles and the challenges I was facing, Jesus was the one that was the answer to that. When I realized that, I said, yes, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus, 100%. That was in 1986. I'm still going. The difference between the two that I've seen in my life, one was based on fear. And there's not, you know, if, if I want to skip hell out of fear, I'm good with that. I'm good with people. I'm okay with that. But the motivation to walk with the Lord has to be different. It can't be out of fear. And I've even recognized even after that, after I got saved, walking with the Lord, loving him, that I found that a lot of the decisions I made, a lot of the things, my activity, my lifestyle, a lot of it was based out of fear of consequence, fear of not measuring up, fear of not pleasing God kind of thing. Then a few years ago, something switched, and I've, the, the love of God has become elevated in my life. And now my motivation is love for him. You know, and I realize he loved me, so I get to love him back. And now, you know, I think of, of uh, like I was saying earlier, you know, when it comes to sin, sin that has us bound, and it's like, man, I, God, I'm so sorry, I can't, you know, I don't want to do this, I don't want to get caught, I don't want to, you know, get in trouble, whatever. You know, living that way, and it's okay to a certain extent. But I know it's in my life what's, what works is, man, God, I love you so much. Why would I want to offend you? And when the temptations come and try to push me down a certain way, it's like, seriously? Are you kidding? Because it's like I see the Father, and I don't see him with his hand raised, you know, to backhand me or anything, you know, waiting for me to mess up if I step out of line. But I just see a loving Father that I'm so in love with that has done so much for me. It's like, I don't want to hurt his feelings. I don't want to offend him. No, thank you. And to me, that's the grace of God. And that's how I believe God's grace 
is wanting to operate in our lives based on the motivation of his love. The Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads man to repentance. You know, um, not the fear, the wrath of God. I mean, I don't, maybe there's scriptures that say that. I mean, there's a judgment pending. You know, people who don't give their lives to Jesus, there is a judgment. We're not trying to water down the, the, the reality of hell. Hell is a reality that many people are going to face. But not me. <laughs> because the love of God has compelled me and it continues to compel me. And man, I'm just motivated because of his love. You know, as, as, as parents, and there's a lot of parents out there, you know, we talk about that issue of motivation. Think about your kids. Do you want your kids' primary motivation for not cutting up or not doing bad things? You want it to be out of a fear of consequence? Is that good enough, or do you want them to do it for the love of virtue, for the love of doing right? Mm-hmm. Okay, do you, do you want them afraid of you, or do you want there to be a relationship such that they would want to honor you by doing the right things? Mm-hmm. You know, um, if, you, if, it's, if it's the former, if they are mostly afraid of you, or they, uh, or they just are going to do right, if they know they're going to get busted because they're fearing consequence and so forth, then what are they going to do when the authority figure is not around? I mean, let's just be real. You know, Uh, when, when you're motivated out of fear, when fear is not there, you're going to disobey. You're going to get out of line and so forth. But if you have an inward motivation, all right, that you want to honor the authority figure. You, you have a motivation of love. I don't want to offend or hurt the heart of my mom or dad. You know, the things that they've taught me, I want to honor. You know, there's a strength in that that enables you to walk in those things even when it would be convenient for you to do the other. Mm-hmm. Amen? So it, it's, an, it's an issue of motivation. A lot of times it's that fear of consequence that causes us to stay in the bondage that we're in. It, it, it may sound strange. You may, have to, you may have to twirl that around in your mind a lot of times because in our fear, in our fear of consequences, our minds are not on, are not properly motivated. Our minds are not on the God of our salvation. Our mind is not on the loving God that we have. Because think about it, we're thinking that he's waiting to smash us. Mm-hmm. You would think he's up there like this big incredible hulk. And he's ready to just smash us as soon as we get out of line. All right? And so it gives us a skewed perspective of our Heavenly Father. Now think about that. The Bible does not present God as that kind of a father. That's right. What did he do? He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, does that sound like a God that wants to smash you every time you every time you mess up? I know more than one person can acknowledge that. <laughs> no, our perception of Him affects our motivation. Okay, and so we need to get out of our own way. All right, and acknowledge the truth. When he came, he's full of grace and truth. They that worship him shall worship him in spirit and in truth. So let's talk truth. 
All right. Let's remember. Let's remember who our heavenly father is and what he is about and how much he loves us and how much his grace is showered, showered upon us and how much and how much he wants. He's for us and his favor is on us and he wants our success. I'm a father. And I have probably put the fear of God in my children from time to time. You know, I've had attitudes, I have barked, I have, man, I'm not sitting up here with the halo on as a dad. God's grace has been available to me to help me grow as a dad, you know, but I had to, I had to, I had to think about it as a father on my kid's worst day when, when I, my frustrations about them is as high as it can get, it never even touches the amount of love I have for my kids. And even though I have to punish them from time to time, there is always a motivation of love in it. There may be a punishment in this season, but I make sure to not punish them out of anger. You know, I punish them so that they know the value I'm putting a value on that sin, <laughs> all right? And it's also, and also it's designed, we talk about it later, it's designed to actually uh, help them get an understanding of the opposite virtue so that they know how they, so that they can learn how to walk it out the right way going forward, all right? So hope this didn't sound too rambling, but in our motivation, we have to keep our perspective about who our God is, what he's about, how he regards us, so that, you know, so that we can love him back, even through our mess, even through our, I was going to say that word again, even through our nonsense, even through our screw-ups, you know, we can never doubt how he feels toward us, and we can reach out to him and appropriate the grace that he showers on us you know, to be able to get out of that rut and move forward in him. I, uh, I want to just continue on here because what we're talking about is, you know, the love of Christ, you know, compelling us, which really what that is, grace is really the deposit. It's a deposit of that love inside of us mm-hmm. that becomes a power to motivate, becomes a power to, to constrain you to action. That's what Jesus said, right? If anyone, you know, is about me, then he's going to be a doer of my word. Mm-hmm. That's the Greg version. Yeah. But is that not right? That's still the truth, right? Yes. He said, it's not, the, it's not the people that hear my word. It's the people that do my word. Mm-hmm. That, those are my true disciples. That's what Jesus said, right? Yes. He's, yeah, that's right. Being the doer. So you do have a part to play in this grace concept. And so I just want to, um, over in Colossians chapter 2, Colossians is a wonderful book to put the rubber on the road with this concept. Wonderful book. I told you that Romans is, an, is probably one of the most exceptional books that you can spend time in from a perspective of, of getting the power of this, of this message laid as a foundation. Colossians would then put the rubber on the road. In terms of practicality, how you practice it, how you do it, talking about your role in this, 
Listen to what verse 6 says in Colossians chapter 2. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. So I'm going to stop right there. He's saying, as you have received Christ Jesus. So I've got to ask everyone, based on what we've preached over the past number of weeks, and many of you already know the concepts, but we just stir up your minds by pure way of, or pure minds by way of remembrance in that. How did you receive the Lord Jesus? I want someone, come on, someone say it. How did you receive him? By faith? Had, had, where did, does everyone agree with that? Did you receive Jesus by faith? Does anyone else have a concept to offer in this? You're going to counter that or add, add to it? Like a child? That's attitude, brother, that's right. It's by grace we've been saved through faith. That's it. That's the message right there. And whoever said that like a child, that's, brother, that is the attitude. That is the attitude that, that allows you to receive the power to be endued with the power, you know, to get you, in a posi- get you positioned to be endued with that power. So here Paul is saying, just like you received that grace, just like you received Christ. As you have received him, so in the same way that you received that. How do we receive it? By grace through faith. With the attitude of a child. Not sitting there trying to work through mental gymnastics of logic. Not having to have it explained to us to the nth degree so that we understand it before we make a decision. Oh, come on now. You know what? A child, there's so many times, and Cornell brought this out on Friday, it's so good. Ultimately, here's where it needs to be, I think, the attitude. Yes, Christ's love compels us, but ultimately, here's where you're at. If you do love him and you trust that love, do you have to, be, do you have, to have everything explained to you before you believe it? If it's coming from God. No. How many of y'all had a mom or a dad that said, son, daughter, because I told you so? Amen. Oh, amen, right, brother? I had a mom. I had a dad. They didn't give me explanations for every order they gave me. There were some times that they detected the attitude of rebellion when I would ask, well, why do I have to do that? And guess what they would say? Because I told you so. And you know what? The reality is, whoever said that like a child, that's where we're at with God. You know what? Ultimately, if you trust him and you allow this love to compel you, you come to this resolve because he told me so. Amen. 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 That's why we live. That's why we do. That's why we walk the walk. That's why we do the part that we're talking about here in this grace concept. Because he told us so. Ultimately, it is. Ultimately, it is. Now, the love of God, it constrains you to that, that obedience, right? But I want to finish here. So just like you received Christ, no different then. He's saying it's no different. I could put an equal sign in there. Equals means same as. Just as you received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. So walk in him. 
So we're talking about rubber on the road. We're talking about the practicalities of the power of God's grace in our lives to do the things that God's called us to do. We're talking about our role in grace here. Just as we've received that grace and that power, we're to walk in that way. We received it by grace through faith. We're to walk by grace through faith. Amen. Amen. It's self-same. And so now, let's turn over to the next chapter. I'm going to spend a minute. Here are some practicalities of what that looks like. Here are some practicalities of what that looks like. Rubber on the road. Therefore, verse 5, put to death what belongs to your worldly nature. What is our role in this grace concept? Our role is to deny ourselves, our agendas. Our role is to put to death the things that caused us problem before Christ. It says, put to death your worldly nature. And then, of course, it iterates a lot of things along those lines. And then it talks about, you know, God's wrath coming on because of that reason. Verses 6 there. In verse 7. And then verse 8, it iterates even more. But you must also put away. So it talks about put to death. Put away. These are action things. Don't lie, verse 9. Since you put off, and this is what I want to get to. The old self with its practices or its deeds. Christ said that if any man or woman was to come after me, and I added woman in there, but it's man, gender neutral, ladies. If any man was to come after me, he must what? Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow him. The reality of the cross is a moment-by-moment reality. Because of his death, because of his putting himself off, we can, in him, through this grace, put ourselves off the old ways. And that's what taking up that cross means because when you take that cross up and it says daily, and I'm going to go ahead and just say, thus saith Greg, moment by moment. <laughs> you know, you pick that cross up means that what you're doing is you're doing the scripture. When you pick up a cross, there's a reason for a cross. Something dies on it. You pick that cross up, and what you're picking it up daily, you're reckoning in your mind, I'm, I'm on that cross. I'm dead to my old way. I'm dead to the old things that cause me problems. This is a moment-by-moment reality, walking out the grace and power, you know, the power of the gospel. Put that off in verse 10, and I'm going to shut up, and have put on the new self. So you don't just put off something and put off something and put off something. You put on something after you put it off. So here's the reality. Here's your role. Here's what we do with this grace message. Moment by moment, day by day by day, you put off the old way, the old self, the thing that's unregenerate, the thing that is not constrained by Christ's love, and you put on the new nature. And then you allow through that process a renewal of your, the other parts of your being that have not received or are currently receiving salvation experience, the power of gospel. The soul salvation, as it's called. That's a, that's a continual concept. Mm-hmm. You put off, you put on. Put off the old, put on the new. You know, it's, <clears throat> it's interesting because, you know, what is our part? What is our role? You know, is, is the grace automatic? Okay, Jesus says, I can love my enemies, so I'm 
just going to automatically love my enemies. Um, and then you sit there and wait for the feelings of love to happen, and they don't happen, do they? But you notice that he gives, just like the passages Greg was reading in, in, in um, I think it's in Ephesians, when he says to put off the old man, put on the new, he says put away anger, wrath, malice, and he says to put on gentleness, kindness. In other words, there's, and he says not to lie, to use your hands for good and that kind of thing. So there, there are things that we can do, and he gives us the grace and the ability to do that, but we still have to choose to do it. You know, when I was sharing last week, well, last, whenever I shared, I guess it was last week, two weeks ago, last week. Anyway, last time I shared it, I was sharing about that situation I found myself in with the, the law and the trial and the DHS and all that kind of stuff. And I found myself being very resentful and angry with those people, with the people that were, I felt were attacking me. And, and the Holy Spirit said, are you ready for me to help you? And at first I said, no, because I didn't, I didn't want to change my attitude. But then I, I said yes and allowed him to begin to help me. Then what he did is he showed me what his word says. He showed me the standard. The standard, standard is I'm called to love my enemies. And then in that Passover says, you've heard it was said you to, to love your neighbors and hate your enemy. But I say to love your enemies, to uh, bless those who curse you and pray for those who despitefully use you. So what he says, he gives you the command and then he gives you the how-to, I believe. And so when he said, you, need, you know, to begin to love these people, he says, here's what you do. Begin to bless them. Because see, my tendency was to curse them. When I would think about what they were doing, I'd, you know, those dirty rats, those, you know, curse, curse, curse. He says to bless. So I began to declare the goodness of God over them. And he says to pray for them. See, when you have enemies, typically people coming against you and attacking you, you're not, your motive or your, your reaction is not to pray for them. Your reaction is to retaliate and to attack. And so... And I remember, you know, when I said, so I began to do those things. And then I said, I made a comment last week. And I, and I think the Holy Spirit checked me on it last night. Because I said, you know, I felt like God tricked me. Because what happened is I was praying for them and blessing them and everything. My motive, my heart changed and all that. And I began to love them. I said, God tricked me into loving them. And I feel like the Holy Spirit told me something last night. He said, you didn't love them the moment your emotions changed towards them. Because see, what happened was my emotions lined up with what I was doing. And I began to feel a compassionate love for them. And I equated that. That's when I began to love them. Lord said, no, you began to love them the moment you began to bless them. Even though my feelings of animosity were still high, even though I still would rather see them go to hell than heaven. But he said, the moment I started moving in obedience, started declaring the goodness of God, started praying for them, that's the moment I started loving them. And so we do have a part to play. I shared the example years ago when, when I made the mistake, <laughs> made the stupid choice of thinking I was buying a hot car off the internet. Great deal. And I ended up, it was a scam. I ended up giving a guy $3,700. And when I realized what I had done and I realized I'd been taken and all that kind of stuff, you can imagine the anger and all that kind of stuff that would come up, want to rise up in your soul and take you hostage. And the Holy Spirit asked me a question. He says, do you want to be free? I said, like, I want my money back. We can talk about freedom later. <laughs> Let's get the cash first, freedom later, then we're all good. But it's like, do you want to be free? Because I knew what was about to happen. My soul was about to be taken hostage to bitterness, anger, and resentment. He said, do you want to be free? And it's like, 
you know, in that moment of, I don't know if I want to or not. I want to be angry. And I was like, yes, Lord. And then he gave me instruction. He told me what to do. And he told me to write a letter to that person. And in that letter, I was blessing and, and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to this man who had just taken my $3,700. And when I did that, guess what? I was free. The emotions came after the act of obedience. And we can't wait until when it comes to forgiving people, forgiving people who have abused us, who have uh, betrayed us or, or whatever, and we're waiting for our emotions to, well, I can, we're equating forgiveness to I feel like good thoughts towards them. That's not where forgiveness starts. Forgiveness starts with obedience. I believe this, I used to believe this differently before yesterday, so I'm <laughs> preaching something brand new. That the obedience and the forgiveness comes with the obedience of, Father, I choose to forgive them. That's the declaration. That's the loving your enemies. Now, the feelings and emotions and all that kind of stuff, and even the understanding. Sometimes God says, do this, and it's like, well, I'm not going to do that until I understand why. Like sometimes your kids, you say, son, I need you to do this and this and this right now. But dad, why? Well, you can sit there and try to explain it to them, knowing you're not going to have time, or even if you explain it to them, they're still not going to like it, they're still going to maybe argue or whatever. But it's like sometimes you just need to do it because I said so. And then later after the obedience, then all of a sudden, oh, now I understand why God wanted me to do that. That's why sometimes tithing. Why do I need to give my 10%? Why do I need to give offerings and everything? And we, we, we can argue on this side or argue on that side why we, and explain all that kind of stuff. Well, Jesus said so. So we do it because he says so. And then the feelings and emotions and even understanding come later. Now understand, you know, if I would have had an argument with God, why do I need to write a letter to this guy who took my $3,700? I don't get that. That doesn't make any sense. I'd still be in bondage. I'd still be stuck. We need to realize that the motivation of God, I heard this from a man many years ago, and I've shared this over and over with the youth when I was a youth pastor, that behind every negative, seemingly negative command of God are two positive motivations. See, we think when there's a command, thou shalt not, we're thinking God's trying to restrain me, hold me back from something good. When, God, when Adam and Eve didn't, were told not to take from the tree, of, the tree of life, you know, that tree, they were thinking, and the enemy even lied to them and said, God doesn't want you to because he's withholding. So they saw the command of God as a negative thing. And a lot of times we see it as negative, and so therefore we're trying to find any excuse and any way to get around us so we can do it because we think God's withholding. But if we can come to the realization that behind every seemingly negative commandment are two positive motivations from our Father. He wants to protect us from something, and he wants to provide us with something. So thou shalt not have sex before marriage. Oh, God, you're just trying to hold me back. You're trying to keep me from having fun. It's like, no, he's wanting to protect me from what? We can think of all the things he's wanting to protect me from. He's wanting to provide for me something wonderful. And if we can see that motivation. And I remember uh, years ago, one of my sons who's already gone, so I don't think it's Grant or Benjamin, <laughs> but he's already out of the house. He's already an adult and everything. But we were clashing. Me and him were clashing a lot. And I didn't understand it. And it's like he was bucking against the things we were trying to tell him to do. And I remember one night we had this, this, this encounter. And I said, son, do you realize your mom and I, there is nobody on this planet who's investing in your success more than me and your mom. 
There is nobody else on this planet who wants to see you succeed more than us. See, because he thought the things we were trying to say and do were trying to thwart his plans or thwart him from whatever, trying to hold him back. We wanted his very success more than anybody else on this planet. And the light came on. He's like, it's like it just hit him. He started crying. Because it, it's like his thought was we were trying to hold him back and said, son, we want you to be successful. Many of us feel like God is trying to hold us back. But if you would realize there is nobody in the universe that wants your success more than him. There's nobody who's invested more than he has in your greatness and your success. And when we let that get a, get a hold of us, man, it's like, what did you say again? Tell me again. Yes, sir. Because I know whatever he tells me to do, he's got my back. He's got my best interest in mind. And he wants me to be successful. He's ordained and prepared good works that I should walk in them. He says, son, I got some cool stuff for you to walk in. Let's go do it. Amen? His motivation towards us, his love for us, the love of Christ compels us. Anybody else? I, I just thought I would uh, take off on just a, a, a specific part of it. And Cornell, you come in and add in on this. But, you know, we look at actions like, giving and fasting and, you know, you know, all the things that I think most of us sitting in here understand, you know, or have heard of worship, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Acts of service, if you will, you know, and to, to our God, things that, that, um, you know, equate to the doing or action part, you know, your role in it. And, and you do have a role to play in that. We are not saying don't do those things. <laughs> I hope nobody is hearing that message because that's not what we're saying. And, you know, Paul had to fight this same battle when he preached this message. Because it's like, well, you know, are you just discounting all this stuff? Does this not have a role? Oh, no, we are not discounting that. So what it comes down to then is it comes down to why you do those things. And that's what we've been talking about. Christ's love compels us. We trust God. We do it because we know he said that, you know, be ye doers of the word. We do those things. But the reality of, of it in application really is about, about you doing it from, a, from the right perspective about you doing it as a fruit of the love of God and not something that you're trying to do to earn the love of God. Y'all see that? Christ's love constrains us to those things. It's his goodness that constrains us to, to do those things. It's an inner motivation that comes from a heart, like Pastor CJ just said, that Cornell was talking, that that out of utter and complete respect, reverence, honor, you do those things. And so here's what it comes down to. No, you don't stop fasting, but, but here's, you don't say to yourself, well, I'm fasting because I'm, I'm trying to move God. And let me tell you, a ton of people, including myself, have had that perspective with fasting. Or tithing or giving or spending time in service in whatever capacity. 
in the kingdom of God because it's going to move God on my behalf because I'm obedient to him. And I've learned those things in the workplace that if I do this, I get a reward. It, see, so much in the world system is merit. Kingdom of God is not that way. Because you should not be in a position, it's always an outward-inward concept with the kingdom of God, or with the world system, but it's an inward-outward with the kingdom of God. It's always what happens here that works its way out. It's never about what happens out here that works its way in. You see what I'm saying? That's the difference. And so what I would say is, is when you fast, when you pray, when you give, when you uh, serve others, when you insert blank and then just insert whatever action that comes to mind with regard to your service in the kingdom of God. What is the motivation? Is it come from an inward desire to please God and guess what? To transfer that power that's constraining you to other people to have an effect. Is that the motivation? And then I've got to say, and I want to end here and then turn it over to Cornell to finish this up, but how is your perspective in the concept of performance? Because this is a huge issue. You got people like me that are type A, that are list and task oriented, that want things to be perfect. I don't want them just right. I want them to be just perfect, just right. You know, I can allow that to absolutely become the constraining factor and not the love of God. Mary, Martha, don't we need to talk about that? So, you know, I, a lot of times, contend to the Martha mentality. And I can be about so many things, and I can even be looking at other people and wondering why they're not helping out. Oh, come on now. I know I'm not the only Martha in the room. So then I have to recheck myself back to why am I doing this? And so if the, if the, if the motivation is right, the, the way that you do something doesn't matter. I got to tell you right now, and I gave this illustration the other day when we were talking about myself, and it just breaks me to think about it. But when my sons come to me and they said, Dad, can I help when I'm doing something, a project? Oh, this is about to be an object lesson. I think it's going to bring light on some people. You know what? I've got my way of doing it. And my sons aren't going to do it my way. Do you know where I'm going now? And, and probably they don't really even have this. They certainly don't have the skill, but they may not even have the physical strength to do it completely. And so like, whereas I'm going to take that circular saw and I'm going to cut that board straight. And then my son says, hey, dad, can I cut that? I might shake a little bit inside <laughs> because I know the board might not be completely straight. But it's not mine to keep my son from learning because my will can be imposed in a position that he's not, he has, can't even relate to that because he's maybe not be wired the same way. You know what my responsibility and action should be as long as it's safe and he's, it's age appropriate? <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to let Judy use a chainsaw. <laughs> but I need to be quick to say his motivation is what I need to be looking at, not the product. Do you all see what I'm saying? Do you all hear what the Holy Ghost is saying? 
The Father is all about that. If your heart is right, it don't matter if that board's cut and a goggling. That's an old colloquialism for off kilter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Does anyone hear that message? It's the motivation. And so I would challenge, all of us would challenge us today in this concept of grace. What is the motivation? That's it. That's what it comes down to. Christ's love compels you. And the father's sitting there going, son, daughter, take the saw. He don't care that it's not cut straight. Your motivation is to help. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. No, brother, you, 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 hit every, you hit everything. Uh, there's really uh, not much to add to that. Um, but from the perspective of your son in that situation, you know, how else is he going to learn? How else is he going to become proficient, you know, at that thing where he can cut it straight and he can do the job on an equal level as you can do it unless he's given that chance and the grace to grow in that, you know? And so, and we have a heavenly father that is likewise minded toward us. It's not about whether we're able to do it perfectly or not. You know, are we doing it unto the Lord? Okay. And God's grace is there with us. And there's been times in, in ministry and in, in, in situations and relationship where I know I had no clue what I was doing. You know, I had no clue what was the right thing to say and so forth and so on. And sometimes I sit there dumb, you know, and, 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 and sometimes I, you know, I, I would just say what I just felt was right you know, to say, and it's amazing, just God's grace was there and blessed, you know, even in my lack of proficiency, even in my lack of understanding and and what perfectly to do, um, God's grace was there and he used it and he blessed it and he was glorified and the the person, uh, more importantly, uh, was blessed, you know, and so um, we need to get out of ourselves (laughs) a little bit and get out of our own way and, and, and not be afraid to step out and dare and try things, you know, for fear of failure or for fear of consequence or whatever. We just need to trust God, like Stephen said, as little children and, and know that we have a faithful father that's going to allow us to grab the saw and going to allow us to cut crooked or otherwise. Uh, he's going to allow us to grow in his grace. Uh, as we walk things out with him. And, and just think of a little kid. You know, I have four girls. You know, we've been fruitful, and my wife and I. And every one of them, I can remember when they took their first steps. You know, just something as simple as that. You know, and sometimes we need to recognize in the spirit that we are at times like the little kids, little toddlers, trying to take the first step. And they can do You know, they take their first step and they'll toddle along and they can do so much in their own strength before they get to test how soft that diaper is and their butts and their their butts hit the floor, you know, and you have to help them initially and allow them to do something as simple as walking. You have to encourage them. You have to help them and they're toddling along. But little by little, they gain a little more strength in those legs. Little by little, they learn to balance themselves a little bit more. Little by little, they get a little bit more confidence. And next thing you know, they don't need mom and daddy's help anymore to take those steps. Next thing you know, you got to child-proof your house. And they're reaching up and they're trying to grab stuff and breakables and trying to eat everything that they get their hands on. 
you know. And, you know, in the spirit, we ought to be like that. The baby never really, you know, they don't, they don't even know any better to think about all the dangers and all the reasons why they shouldn't even try to do it. They just see mom and daddy walking and they, that's just what we're supposed to do, you know. And they just trust mom and dad and, 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 and they learn. You know, and I just said, let God be that father to you. Okay, be get out there and toddle if you have to. All right, don't worry about consequence. Don't worry about where you don't measure up. Don't worry about whether you can cut straight or not. Just trust that God's grace is there for you to help you, um, to help you walk in the grace of God. Amen, to help you walk in his strength, to help you do that which he's called you to do. Amen. Well, let's all, let's all stand together. And I just wanted to prove to you guys how we were led by the Spirit today. Because most of you who know me know that I don't wear cowboy boots. Oh, man, I noticed that. <laughs> I was going to point that out. <laughs> so I got the Holy Ghost memo this morning, I guess. <laughs> so I don't know why I wore these, but I thought I was doing it, doing it for my wife because she, she's trying to convert me or something. <laughs> But anyway, I thought that was pretty funny. It's like, wait a minute. Anyway, all right. Well, I hope you guys got something from Holy Spirit this morning. And I would encourage you sometime this week to listen to the podcast because I know it was a lot of information thrown out there. So you can just kind of grab a hold of it and chew on it. But just remember his motivation towards you and let that affect your motivation back. Amen? Amen. Father, we just thank you so much for you, for your goodness, that you love us. And and Lord, that message is not getting too old for us, how much you love us. And we just say thank you again. Thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives, what you're doing in every person here, what you're doing in all of our families, and what you're going to do through this church family to impact this community and impact this world. We declare that in Jesus' name, that that's going to happen as we stand in agreement with you, Father. And we just thank you for your goodness. We love you. And I, Lord, I just release and speak your blessing on every person here and every family represented here. In Jesus' name, amen.